0: Thanks Sandy. I I think I gave a welcome before. I think I said g'day to everyone, g'day to the people in the church here and and g'day to you uh, folk back at home who are still kind of live streaming in. It is awesome to be able to have uh, people in the building, to be able to look at your faces and connect with you, Uh, but still know that we've got lots of people online at home. Uh, as our little phrase has become a uh, one church uh, in many homes and we 're just looking forward to all those little homes just flowing uh, back in here eventually and, and we just like the full people of God back together uh, as we should be it 's a little bit of a challenge as as Sandy mentioned because uh, i 'm in here now and i 'm probably at times i'll be i 'll be looking uh, at, at you guys and then there'll be times where i 'm looking straight down the camera at you hopefully i don 't forget that camera's there uh, it 's been my friend for about 38 weeks. And then there's just going to be times when I'm just looking down at my notes thinking, uh, where on earth am I in this message? But hopefully, you know, Equal amount of recognition, equal amount of love and, and all that. And hopefully the, the same presence of God, whether you're in here or at home, uh, as we've been singing, as we've been praying, as we've been taking uh, communion. And, and, and now as we look into um, not necessarily just one passage of the Bible, but a, a, in Advent, maybe the story uh, of the Bible and 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 what's going on hey let's let's pray and then we'll get into uh today's message where we're looking at peace uh this week in our advent series loving god we as we travel yeah through this advent season we thank you that one of the clear realities of the scripture is that you are a god of peace now, peace is not a word uh that we have come up with to try and describe Uh, state of existence that we long for but peace is actually uh, the character trait of our creator so when we want to know what real peace is uh, how we can experience true peace uh, we need to look outside our limited kind of frameworks our limited categories uh, our fragile efforts if you like to try and find it to maintain it and look to the god of peace uh, who has given us his peace through the person of Jesus. And we give you thanks and praise for that. This morning we pray uh, that your spirit would illuminate this truth uh, in our hearts as as not just knowledge, but a felt reality. Warm our hearts with affection for you and and bring peace to us uh, in the person of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, we're we're in this season that's that's known as as Advent. And Advent is a word that has come to us from the Latin word adventus, uh, which came from the Greek word perusia. Now I don't speak Latin, and I don't speak Kone Greek. I'm not trying to you know impress you that I know languages or something or other. I think they taught uh, Italian at school when I went to school, but but to say that the word Advent that we have now has come from from an original context from an original meaning, so it helps us to understand what this where this word came from, so that 's why we go you know the Latin was this and the Greek was this, and, and that helps us to arrive. At, at, at trying to understand what this word meant and, and back as the, as the biblical writers were this word perusia in it, it had this sense of the, the coming of something of, of worth of significance uh, that has been anticipated and longed for so this word, Advent, is, it's a little bit more than just, oh, I see the, the daily newspaper has Advented on our porch, or I see your mother has Advented in our kitchen for Christmas. It's, it's got a lot more rich meaning and deep significance to it than just that. So then this season of Advent is used to look back and remember the, a very significant arrival, the arrival of Jesus. And, and and that word remember uh, that we use, and um, you know when 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 Paul in communion says he says do this in remembrance of me. This this word remember is not merely about calling to mind some historic fact or some historic uh, date. It's it's about remembering something in a way that it shapes your reality. Not merely calling historic facts in to being, but but remembering it in such a way that it shapes your walk of life. So we look back and remember, have our walk shaped by the anticipated arrival of Jesus. Like That that actually happened, That, that his birth, death, his life, his resurrection happened, and that redefines our place in the universe. And then at the same time, because of the claims that Jesus made while he was alive and the claims that Jesus made after his death and resurrection, we look forward, which is what we did in communion, we look forward to and long for the completion of these things, the parousia, the advent, the coming of Jesus at the end of time when God goes, yeah, look, it's time to bring everybody just into my presence and back home and with me. So advent is this current season of reflection over past events that shape how we live now, that shape how we understand the future and what, we, and what we hope for the future. And that's why Advent starts with hope. And we looked at hope last week. Hope is something, is, is something that shapes how we live. Um, we looked at how we're irreducibly hope-based creatures. Uh, and Christmas tells us that, that hope doesn't depend on our efforts uh, to, to construct a, a future for ourselves or a great Christmas, but hope, real hope, true hope, is built around the character of God. It's not merely a concept, it's not just blind optimism, but it's based in the character and the presence of God. So this week, what we're going to be reflecting on is another universal longing, and that's, and that's peace. Peace is a little different to hope in that hope was something that we were given, whereas peace is something that we have actually lost from our original created state. We were created complete. We were created whole. There was no unraveling of things in the universe. It was, there was no anxiety, no conflict in our experience. When God set up the world, he set it up at peace. Which, is a, which in Biblical framework m- means in a, in a state of harmony, um, a completeness, everything relating to uh, everything else as it should, uh, for the well-being of all these other things, for the well-being of creation, and for not merely just the glory of God, but the experienced glory of God. Peace is not something that we try to create, but it's a quality of the character, the person, and the presence of God that He wrote into creation, that He wrote into the very fabric of who we are. Well, that's the picture that we get in Genesis, at least. Everything in its order, everything in its rhythm, everything in um, uh, authentic relationship with each other. That's what the writer of Genesis is trying to convey at the end of Genesis there, Genesis 2:25, when he sums up creation and everything that he's done by saying, "And the man and woman were both uh, naked and they were not ashamed." There was a quality of peace. in all relationships, that humanity lived in uninhibited. humanity lived authentically with each other and with God. There's no secrets, there's no fear. No power struggles. No one's wondering if they're safe in this relationship. Just what the Old Testament calls shalom, peace. Or what the New Testament calls erene. Peace based on the character and the presence of God. The peace of God is a quality of power, if you like. It was the quality of power that stands behind uh, the order uh, that is that, that brought all of the chaos, all of the chaos that was there, uh, the peace of God is the power that stands behind that to bring it into harmony, to bring it into good, right, functioning rhythms. Uh, and that's what we see there. Brought it all into being. You know, Hebrews, the uh, writer of Hebrews, reflecting on... Everything that God has done uh, throughout creation, throughout human history, uh, all of that story gathering around the arrival of Jesus and and how all of that is restored back to us, the brother of Hebrews goes, God is a God of peace. That's, That's what he's about. Peace was something that we were created having at the core of our existence and our experience of the world. But Genesis also tells us Why our current experience, why our current reality, it doesn't match that ideal. We're not not still back in that garden. In Genesis 3, we read about how our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, who, who, who stand as representative heads of humanity, broke the rhythm of creation by mistrusting the peace that it was built in. By declaring that the character and the word of God was not enough to, to maintain this. And they, and they broke shalom. They broke peace with God. They broke trust and relationship with God. They said things like it, it, it wasn't complete. It it, it isn't full. It's not perfect. We need something else. We need something more. And this is what the Bible calls sin. It's an approach towards God. It's an act of relational treason against our Creator. And it resulted uh, in this previously perfect uh, order of the world no longer functioning under its peaceful condition, under under its peaceful design. That's what happened when, when Adam and Eve grasped at their autonomy. The world, the, the universe, it still reflects some of the beauty, some of the design. If you like, you know, the sun uh, comes up every day, the, the universe keeps spinning, the, the, the rules and the regulations are still intact. That's what we call common grace. But the basic order and structure of creation has seen its peace evaporate. Its completeness has been fractured. Its wholeness is unraveling. The effects of lost peace we read there in Genesis are immediate and they are rapid. Husband and wife go from naked and unashamed to suspicious. Uh, untrusting accusational they don't feel safe anymore it's the first thing we see you know God's like what's going on guys and Adam's like well it wasn't me it was this woman you put here with me like she she jacked all this up and she's like no back off Adam wasn't me that did this it was this slimy little creature that slid in through the door that you left open and all of a sudden there's blame and all kinds of crazy going on not only that humanity goes from viewing God as a friend to walk with you know to walk with and to share life our walk of life in the peace of god we go from that reality to seeing god as an enemy to hide from we read in genesis they heard god coming and they hid you know they were ashamed god what's god going to do to us intimacy with god is replaced with with separation and this is just This is where the loss of peace, this is where the base notice of peace goes from our lives. And then from that, once that peace is gone, all of a sudden everything else begins to unravel at a horizontal level. Trust is replaced with fear, love with indifference and hatred. There is murder, there is abuse of power, there is just simply no more peace. Here is what Don Carson's describing this. He says, here's the beginning of fences and rape and greed and malice, of nurtured bitterness, of war... uh, This is the beginning of sickness and disease and death and natural disaster. The chaos, the the, the ordered peace is now unraveling into chaos. And whether you hold the Genesis account of the human creation and the condition that we find ourselves in as a fact right now. That's that's just another question or a question of its own. But as we read this and as we understand this, what we have here literally is the only good and consistent explanation for why we long for peace. It's a lost base note of our creation. And without God as the source of that peace, we just tear the world apart. We just tear each other apart, trying to find it again, trying to establish it again. We're just simply not qualified to be peacemakers. And here we have the only good and consistent explanation for why we feel so disturbed and unsettled when relationships are torn apart, when we fight with our kids, uh, when we have disunity in a marriage, when there's, you know, when there's beef at work or when there's, when there's, when there's beef between friends, it's, it, it, we feel it in, in, in here, there's something unsettled, there's a loss of peace. It's because we were created never to know that. We were created to be in peace with each other. And sin has just broken all of that. What should the God of peace do with those that he created in his image to be peace cultivators, but instead of cultivated and reproduce conflict and war and strife? Like what should this God do with this treason, with this false image bearing? I don't know, well I do know, I know what I'd do and I reckon I have a pretty good idea of what you would do. We have thousands of years of history that inform us on what we do as people when somebody breaks our peace. But arching over the top of that history and beginning back here in Genesis with a promise is God's response to this mess. In Genesis 3, as the dust is settling on this peace-shattering quake, if you like, that's gone uh, throughout the universe, God responds with a pronouncement of judgment. You know, sin has its consequences. We don't just sweep it under the rug. But with that judgment is also a promise of grace. God will not just merely leave us in the grip of the devil, you know, the guy who slid in through the open door not just leave us to our own devices god promises right here to act on our behalf to get involved in fixing the problem the promise of a child who will reconcile humanity back to god and destroy the curse of sin and its author that has made peace so elusive so impossible to find, that it has that robbed our hearts of it and, 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 and removed God as the author of it in our lives. Lads from the Bible Project observe how the Bible is really quite aware. It doesn't hide this, doesn't hide uh, the, the, the human condition, the human condition of anxiety. It's aware that life is complex and full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And, and when they any of them are out of line or, or missing, it, Your shalom is broken, your peace is broken, is what we were talking about before. Life is no longer whole and it needs to be restored. That's the tension of the Bible. That's that's what the whole story is waiting to see the resolution of that. It waits for this promise that's given here to come about that we would have our peace restored. This promise of restored peace in a child becomes the organizing theme and anticipated tension of the Bible. And as the story of this promise is carried along within human history, in spite of our consistent capacity to actually work against it, the Bible has recorded history of the development of this promise to reconcile the world back to God, back to a state of peace. And as the story of the Bible unfolds, God comes in and he drops clues that would awaken our hearts and and keep them longing for better days, days of peace. Uh, For the family, or for the Jews, for this family, for this nation that God has, has raised up to carry this story. The hope of this shalom is wrapped up in, in the development of, of, of this child into this mystical person, this, this, this person who, who's going to come, who's going to reestablish peace. Someone is coming. Someone is going to heal all that is jacked up and wrong with the human condition. And like I said, as this promise develops, uh, running alongside of it or, or, or parallel with it, as a bit of what we might call an object lesson in our need for God to come and be the one who, who makes this promise true, is humanity's failed attempts to bring peace that makes things whole again. Even when God comes along and gives us laws that describe how we are to be cultivators and cultivating peace. Even when God comes along and gives uh, this family, this nation, kings who are to be models, who are to foster peace sin continuously reveals uh, that, that, that we would rather tear things apart than live under the presence of God who is trying to show us how peace is made good how things are restored sin keeps us from the relational presence of God needed to know uh, needed to be able to be obedient to if you like uh, what, what true what real peace is but one of the ways that God keeps His promise alive and develops this picture of, of who this figure, this child, will be, was through prophets, agents who spoke God's word uh, into the lives of His people, reminding uh, them of who He is and the promise that He has made on their behalf, and, and how they should live in view of this. They, they should live with. We looked at it last week. They should live with hope. One of those prophets was a lad known as Isaiah. Isaiah spoke seven, eight hundred years before Jesus turns up, but he spoke into a time where peace uh, had vanished from God's people. Now they lived in dislocated unrest, uh, their, their shalom was completely broken. The known world was a dark and a disordered place. And Isaiah comes, and Isaiah reminds the people. He speaks of a child who would be born a king, a future prince of peace. And this king would bring a kingdom and a reign that would be characterized by the presence of God's peace. But not in a temporal sense or a fleeting sense, as failed kings have done previously, But when this king turns up, this peace will just increase and go on forever. It will be an unending peace in which justice and righteousness will be its foundations. The cornerstones of this this king's administrations. We read all about this through Isaiah 7 and 9. In chapter 7, Isaiah has reminded the people that this coming reconciler would be a child, but this child would be characterized the sign of, this, of a miraculous birth uh, in humble uh, environments. Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah. These are the two Christmas prophets. They turn up every Christmas, uh, amongst others. Uh, and he's another clue dropper, if you like, uh, developing the picture of this coming promise. And, and he also speaks into this, this period of the absence of peace and, and people's longing for it. Micah describes the coming of one there in chapter 4-3 as someone who's going to judge between many nations and will settle disputes for the strong far and wide. So so all of a sudden there's a universal scope. It's just not one people group. It's just not one nation, but many nations. And under this person's reign, the nations will beat their swords into plowshears, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation uh, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for warfare anymore. What a beautiful picture of peace. So the resources of warfare are going to be repurposed for the mutual benefit of others. This is another um, one of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe peace. Real peace, true peace, is not merely the absence of war, the absence of, 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 of stopping hostilities, but but the working together, the coming together for, for, for the mutual benefits of each other. Natural born enemies all of a sudden coming together to serve each other. This is peace. In Micah 5, he adds some more info, information to the arrival, the advent of, of this deliverer of, the, of this peace. Coming out of and attached to the ancient a promise of, of a king from the line of David. He will be born into poverty and obscurity. However, he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God. He's going to bring security to these people. His greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. And this person, this child, this king shall be their peace. Not he will create peace through some kind of governmental reform or some kind of social welfare system, or some kind of military presence, you know, Pax Romana. But this child, this king, will be the source and the place of peace. Peace is found in his personal presence. This is also how the Bible understands what real peace is. It's not just the absence, the ceasing of war and conflict, anxieties and restfulness. It is the presence of something else, something greater in their place. Historically, the law and the word of God, you know, abiding in these things, abiding in God's word, abiding in his law was what brought peace. But now what we're reading is actually this peace is going to be found and abiding in a child, a person. 700 years later, as it's recorded in our New Testament, there's a story about this miraculous birth. And all the clues of the Old Testament, they're all starting to line up and point in the direction of this birth. And just as Micah and Isaiah had predicted, and just as Genesis had promised, the peace bringer has come. He's come into the world. And we've spent a good part of this year looking at Luke's account, like 25 messages for five chapters. you will love it. Um, looking at Luke's account of the arrival the advent of Jesus and amongst all the other acclamations and descriptions that tell us about who Jesus is and, and what he has come to do is, uh, is this um, great moment no, I just lost my place amongst all the anticipated hope of the Old Testament uh, that, that Jesus has come to be the very presence of God uh, is the announcement Amongst all of this, all of this testimony, actually comes an announcement from heaven itself. Some angels turn up, and 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 they tell us that this great anticipation, this great tension, this great longing for peace is over. That the arrival of Irene, of peace, is finally here. Glory to God in the highest, and on peace. And on earth, peace amongst those on whom God's favor rests. And where is this peace to be found? Well, we saw a little bit earlier. Where, where is this peace that comes to those who, who, who see it as the glory of God? You've got to remember this peace is inextricably attached to that, that little phrase, the glory of God. You, you cannot separate them. To those who see the arrival of this child as the as the peace of God the promise of God was found in a child and God comes and he talks to shepherds who are people who probably live the life of the most unrestful unpeaceful lives going around and that they are told that peace can be found in a child down there in this town of Bethlehem wrapped in rags held by a peasant girl all the clues of the old testament coming together pointing toward this child when peace when the peace of god finally arrives it's relational it's approachable it's knowable but it's not acquirable unless you go see unless you go encounter its presence and you understand that that presence is the glory of god come into our world it's God's response to our loss of peace that has, that's been destroyed by sin. Unless you, unless you come into this presence understanding that about who Jesus is, then you are not going to encounter the peace that he has. In order to encounter this peace that this child is, you must be able to see him, encounter him as the glory of God, the sum of all the clues of the Old Testament that has come to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, bring our chaos back into order, turn the state of our war-torn hearts that see God as an enemy to hide from, uh, to see God as a God that, that, we, that we mistrust, that, that, that a God that we are alienated from, into a God who comes to us, who initiates grace uh, into a living and a loving and a transforming presence. That's, that's, that's what this, this child has come to, to tell us, to bring to the core of who we are. The, the New Testament claim is that Jesus made peace between God and humanity by having his own peace torn apart, by losing his own presence. Uh, his own experience of the presence of God by by facing the peace-destroying power of sin himself on a cross so that we could have our peace put back together so that we could have access back to the presence of God so that we can have our lives once again shaped by the presence of God in our hearts Romans five one tells us that since we have been justified by faith, since we have we have come and and trusted that that this Jesus, this child born at Christmas, is God's response. That we have trusted that Jesus is God's peacemaker, we have peace through. God through our Lord Jesus Christ the idea is that Jesus has restored uh, to wholeness the brokenness of relationships that we've experienced with God and with each other that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 14 to 15 that Jesus is our peace Paul is letting us know that the ideal we long for the presence that we miss is actually found in the person of Jesus Christmas is not merely just some sentimental story of goodwill, of of working toward peace based on trying to to be better people, uh, create better systems, do better deeds. It's the good news that the glory of God, the character of God, the peace of God can be the organizing presence in your heart that replaces the broken uh, presence of sin. Christmas is not pretending uh, that we can create peace, but it's about seeing that peace has come to us, to recreate us, to turn us into new creations, to turn us into people who, who work together, who, who, who finish the hostilities and now come together. Uh, we say it all the time, natural-born enemies uh, united as brothers and sisters in Jesus, in the peace of God. And, 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 and that's just what holds us together as a people. So as we travel into Advent this year, may the peace of God just dwell richly in your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that this story that began at creation, that travels all the way along through human history, uh, that finds its its. it's it's, it's center and it's meaning in, in the coming of Christ. And all that he has done for us is a story of peace for us, that we can know the peace that our hearts and our souls long for. But it's not a peace that just, um, just kind of magically materialized, but it's a peace found in coming and understanding that Jesus is the glory of God, coming into our lives uh, to confront what is wrong to destroy what is wrong and to make it good. We pray that we would come and that we would see Jesus not merely as a good person or some kind of, you know, prophet, but as God come to reconcile us back into relationship with him. And we thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen.